Hey, I've said before, we're going to be uh, in Matthew chapter 4 today, towards the end of Matthew chapter 4, and in Matthew chapter 7. We won't actually cover the Sermon on the Mount today. We're going to lay the groundwork for that to kind of get ourselves geared up for that, for the words from the hill, the Sermon on the Mount, however you want to call it. Uh, But it's Jesus giving his first message to a group of people in a, in a big room, in a big setting. And so we're going to examine that. But, but I want to, I've, I've, I've polled you guys on this before. I want to poll you one more time. How many of you love to build puzzles? Puzzles, puzzle builders. Puzzle builders, raise your hand. You notice, I notice a couple of you puzzle builders, you're like me. Oh, I love puzzles! Okay? Uh, it's probably the same people who love cilantro, okay? I don't know. You either love puzzles or you hate puzzles. That's what I know. Those of you who raise your hand, you're so happy, and the rest of you are like, man, I gave that up when I was in fifth grade. I never want to build another one, all right? Some people love cilantro. Some people hate cilantro. There's just no in-between, but when I go on vacation, you know what I want to do? I want to build a puzzle. So we'll go to the store. We'll go grocery shopping, and as we're grocery shopping, it's usually like some giant, you know, neighborhood or Walmart or wherever it is, and they've got, they got to have puzzles. So I'll go to the back, and I'll start looking for a puzzle. And I'm kind of selective, and I like to build new puzzles, and I don't like to build puzzles that have already been opened, because if I get there and there's not one piece is missing, it's all she wrote, all right? Vacation is ruined. And so I go, and I buy a new puzzle, and I take it back to the house, and I get a table. you got to have a house that has a good table, right? And I dump all the pieces out. I flip them all face side up, and then what do I do next, puzzle builders? Corners in the frame, right? Hallelujah. Corners in the frame. That's what you got to do. You got to find the frame because once you find the frame, you know how big the puzzle is. Once you find the frame, you begin to see where these colors, and I'm so thankful now that they give you posters of the puzzle inside the puzzle box. They, they must know that aging folks are doing puzzles right, like me, and so I need the bigger poster to be able to see what the little picture is. And so we get all these puzzle pieces, we flip them all right side up, put the edges together because it gives us a framework. The Sermon on the Mount, the words from the hill, from Jesus, as we are going to see, are the framework It is the framework, it is the outline, it's the parameters for the disciples to begin to live out this new faith. They needed some direction. They were about to get several years' worth of direction, of time with Jesus spent with him, but they needed some outline to get this thing started. They needed to know, okay, so where where are the edges of this? And what Jesus is going to do in the words from the hill is he's going to outline this for them and say, listen, here is what I desire of those who are now followers of me. Now, I want to be really clear as we go into this series. As we walk into the words from the hill, I want to make sure that you understand this is not a new set of commandments. This is not a list of must-dos in order to become a disciple of Jesus. Hear me. Over and over and over, I'm going to say this to make sure. Jesus is not preaching and teaching works-based salvation. What I mean by that, he is not saying, if you care for the poor, control your temper, pray the correct prayer, love your enemies, then and only then can you be my disciples. No, He is going to speak to a group that he is called to be his disciples, and through their relationship to him, he's going to give them the kingdom of heaven and what it should look like on earth and how they're supposed to participate in that, what their role is in that. 
But I've got to tell you something. I've been reading through this, honestly, since the beginning of the year, thinking about this series, thinking about um, this opportunity to, to preach through these words from Jesus. And here's what I see in this passage of Scripture. I see the opportunity for us, for our lives, to be flipped upside down. Many of you who are followers of Jesus for a long time, you've read through the Sermon on the Mount or you've listened to certain parts of this sermon from Jesus and maybe a couple sermons here, a couple sermons there. But what I want to ask you to do, if you are a long-time believer and you've, you've studied this before, I, I just want to ask you, especially this morning, can you just kind of back up with me this morning? Let's lay the groundwork for how and when and who Jesus is speaking this to. And then let's also look at the authority by which he is teaching this. So I want you to back up with me and kind of pause there. If you are a non-believer, if you are a guest with us and you say, man, I, I came, I've been coming, I'm, I'm kind of distant, I'm, I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing and the Bible stuff, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be here with us this summer. And I want you to walk through not what social media says about Jesus, not what the news says about Jesus. I want you to listen to what Jesus says about Jesus. I want you to listen to what Jesus calls his followers to through their relationship with Jesus Christ. Not apart from, but through our relationship to Jesus Christ. I want you to dig in with us this summer. I want you, if you miss a week, I want you to listen to it or stream it or however all that stuff works. I don't quite know. Um, we're going to give you some other ways to do that in the upcoming weeks. But I want you to buckle up. I want you to be a part of this. Because three things we're going to see this summer. We're going to see it every single week. We're going to examine each passage that we walk through this summer. We're going to ask some questions of it. How does this help me grow in my relationship to Jesus Christ? How does this help me become more a part of my community? And how does this transform my character? Every single week this summer. How does this transform my relationship to Jesus Christ? How does this help me become more involved, a part of my community? And how does this transform the character that I have in and through Jesus Christ? So keep those things in mind. Hang on with us. Let's look at who Jesus is speaking to in Matthew chapter 4 towards the end. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 through 25. He went throughout all Galilee, Jesus, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, the paralytics, those <clears throat> oppressed by demons, those having seizures, the paralytics, and he healed them. Verse 25, and great crowds from, followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis. I'll explain that in a minute. From Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So let's back up to verse 23. He went throughout Galilee speaking in the synagogues. First thing we need to see about Jesus is where is Jesus starting his teaching? His public teaching, where is he starting? He's going to the synagogues. What are the synagogues? It's the center of the Jewish faith. So he is going in unashamed, not afraid, fearless, going into the synagogue, teaching a message that would have been radically transformational to the Pharisees, to the scribes, to the Jewish leaders of their community. 
Because here's what we see as examples of them throughout the Gospel of Matthew. The Pharisees were folks that liked to stand on the street corner, get public praise for their relationship to the law. They could pray the loudest, they could pray the smoothest, they could pray the best, they could follow the law, they gave the most money to the the synagogue, and they wanted everybody to know it. And Jesus comes along and says some things in in these words from the hill that they're quickly going to realize. Maybe we're not that important. Maybe we don't have this all figured out. Or maybe we should get rid of this teacher. So Jesus is teaching in the synagogues. One thing we see from verse 23, let us see that, let, us gr- let it grow on us, let it hang on us as we walk into this. So what Jesus is doing, he's drawing them back into a relationship. Then it says, so his fame spread throughout all Syria. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. Great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from the Jordan. Now, I was trying to think of a land mass for you to put this in context. So we often have to drive from Lexington to Lynchburg, Virginia, where Liberty University is, where our oldest daughter goes to school. It's about 140 miles. All right. So if we were to drive from there to there, if you were to take that distance, if some of you know where Lynchburg is, all right, um, again, about two hours and 15 minutes north, going, going, you know, going north out of here, if you were to take that landmass about 40 or 55 miles wide, that's the kind of swath of land that Jesus is proclaiming and teaching to. It's a big portion of land. And that's conservative on the underside of that. It's probably a little bit larger than that, but I'm going on the short side of that. Because here's what he, he says in here. He defines it. He says there's the cities called the Decapolis. That's ten cities that make up this group of cities that had a Roman structure to them. Why is that important? Because Romans weren't Jewish. Why is it important to us? That means when Jesus is teaching the crowd, he had Romans and Jews there together. Gentiles. Possibly even Samaritans. People from different cultures from miles away from each other. Now you think, man, 150 miles is no big deal. I mean, Pastor, you could drive to Liberty this afternoon and back if you needed to, right? That's in a car, not a donkey. Please get that in your mind. This is not the interstate. This is a Roman road at best. Cobblestone, if, it, if they're lucky. This is days, possibly over a couple of weeks' journey from one end to the other. So Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, and people from this whole group of places are gathering in. They're pulling in. Galileans, Samaritans, Jews, Gentiles, Romans, Jewish, religious, non-religious, political, non-political. They're all here meshed together. And not only that, but what does he say about them? He says they're afflicted, they're diseased, they're sick, they're demon-possessed, and they're all hanging out together. The only time I think I've been in a group that would be considered close to that is any time you go to Times Square in New York City. How many of you been to New York, Times Square? All right, man, there's a lot of you. All right, did you feel like a, a weirdo there, like you were out of, out of the norm? You were, okay, because there is no norm. 
You look around and there's those that are selling you something, those who are stealing if they get the opportunity from you, those who are taking pictures of you, demanding money from you. There are those who stand there and look around and proclaim false teachings. There are those there that are spiritually hungry looking for it. There are those that are poor and those that are wealthy. And they're all gathered in together. And I guarantee you there's some religious folks hanging out and some non-religious folks, some Christians, some Jews, some Muslims, all hanging out in this one big melting pot. You can stand on the steps and look down and think, this is one of the strangest things I've ever seen. Matthew 4, 23 through 25. Please don't think that this is a single group of people from one nationality sitting in church rows, all with the same struggles and issues going on. It's not, church. This is a group of people Some of them are there to be healed. Some of them are there to take teaching. Some of them are there to contradict the teaching. All these things are taking place and are churning around these words from the hill that we're going to dig in. And you need to know that as you dig into it. Do not ignore that as you are listening to it. When he talks about blessed are those who are poor, those who are mourning, all these different things, understand they come from an understanding of who Jesus is speaking to. The framework is being placed. The pieces are being put together. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm coming and I'm going to put a framework for you as disciples of mine to begin to live by. So why is this so important? Because never before that I can find had a group so varied in socioeconomic levels, in race and in nationalities, all gathered together to hear a preacher. And Jesus was about to download to them three chapters that we have, how it's divided now, of incredible, life-changing teaching. And it could not leave them alone. They'd all gathered. And think about this. They didn't have cell phones to call somebody from the bottom of the Decapolis to the top of the Decapolis, from one city to the other, and say, hey, man, you've got to come hear this guy. They didn't have email. They didn't have social media to post a picture of somebody getting healed. Oral tradition spreading throughout. Jesus teaching in the synagogues, moving all these people. And I don't believe that it was simply simply the teaching or even the miracles that were drawing the people to Jesus. I think we're going to see what drew them to him in just a moment. But Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 tells us what happens next. It tells us this, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying. This is not abnormal placement for a teacher of the day to find a place where he could look down or look up and to teach those that had gathered with him. But he calls his disciples, those who are his followers, definitely was speaking to them, but we'll see in a minute, the crowd pressed in too. And he gets them and he sits down on the hillside. And he opens his mouth and he speaks these words from the hill. That's who's there. That's what's going on. But I want you to see something in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. So if you want to flip over to those couple pages in your Bible. Twenty-nine is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. When Jesus finished these sayings, 
The crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had what? Authority. Not as their scribes. This is an indictment of the religious leaders of the day. This is an indictment that something was missing from their culture. Something is missing. It's drawing people to them. Yes, it was the miracles. Yes, it was the teaching. But what astonished them in his teaching was his authority. Why is this such a big deal? If we don't understand that the authority of this message astonished and left the people in awe, then we're going to be prone to zooming through Matthew chapter 5 through 7 as if it does not have authority. Do not misplace or forget that the authority being spoken here is the authority recorded for you here is the authority to speak into your life today in this room, in this place, in your time with the Lord. Same authority. Matthew, throughout his book, the Gospel of Matthew, he talks about authority. Let me tell you when the authority of Jesus shows up. It shows up here in the Sermon on the Mount. It shows up when there's somebody demon-possessed and he casts them out. It says the authority was there. The authority of Jesus was there when there was someone who had been deceased for several days and he calls them out of the tomb through his authority. Are you getting the glimpse here? This authority here is pretty significant. And if we bypass this authority, then you might as well skip through 5 through 7. 5 through 7, of chapters 5 through 7, these words from the hill are giving, given the weight and the magnitude for our lives because the authority, this authority went to the cross and died for your sins. This authority conquered sin and death and stepped out of the grave and was raised from the dead and appeared to his disciples. That's the same authority. And you know what the authority is? The authority is Jesus is the Son of of the living God. And their scribes had never seen it. The teachers had never seen it. The crowds could not grasp it. They were astonished. They were in awe. They were dumbfounded, however you want to call it. He got done teaching, and they're sitting there in the crowd thinking, what just happened? Who was that? We've never heard somebody teach that way before with that authority. So let me ask you something. When you come to God's Word, when you come to your relationship to Jesus, is Jesus that type of authority in your life? Do you have a relationship with Jesus that brings about him to be, yes, a loving, good, gracious father, but please don't leave out that he is an authority in your life. This is an authoritative, significant, power of God speaking moment in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and the people could not imagine what had just taken place. And I don't think Jesus had to use a special tone in his voice. Parents, you know the tones I'm talking about. The other night, Friday night, I, 
I called our younger three. Bailey's away at camp. I called our younger three into the living room. I said, hey, guys, I need to talk to you for a minute. And as they were coming in, I said, hey, you're not in trouble. And William said, oh, that's not the we're in trouble voice. We're good. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Moms and dads, teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. There is the, let me just think of the few tones there are. There is the, my kids call it the vacation dad tone. It's the, let's do whatever we want to do tone, right? Come on, let's go tone. There's the preacher tone. There is the, you better get in here right now tone. That's trouble, right? And according to William, there's the, hey, we're having a family meeting, but nobody's in trouble tone. (laughs) Got it. I didn't know I had that many tones. I don't think Jesus stood and sat on the hillside and turned on his preacher voice to gain authority. No, he was given authority that was his authority from the creation of the world that he already had. He spoke the world into existence, and now he's sitting on the hillside with some disciples and crowds, some paralyzed, some seizing people, some demonic-filled people, some Pharisees, those who were religious, those who were not religious, and he speaks, and when he speaks, it has authority as they had never heard before. So church, when we look at Matthew 5 through 17 to these words on the hill, please let them speak to you as an authoritative voice. Not me. You dig into it. You read through it. You study it. But let it serve as a piece of the authority of God's word because that is what it is. It is an authority that called this entire group of people from all these regions to come together, spend time together, and they would have never, ever, ever hung out together since. But you know the people that were around, those afflicted, those diseased, those oppressed, those with illness, those with paralyzation, those with disease and illness, those that were spiritual, those that were not spiritual, those who believed and those who didn't believe. You know what? Sounds a lot like 2018. People are still searching. They're still searching for truth. They're still searching for a message that is authentic and that is real and that is authoritative that they can wrap their hands around and put their hearts around and put their actions behind. If you don't believe me, just follow social media and follow whatever the current group is or the current teaching is and watch it soar for a while and then watch it collapse. Watch thousands of people follow a false teacher and then see it disappear. Why? Because culture, even a sinful, broken culture, is searching and looking for somebody with some authority. Just somebody. Somewhere. Some teaching. Step up to the plate. Be authentic in your community. Be transformed by the character of your teaching and allow that to influence those around us. That's the calling of the church. That's the outline, the parameters that Jesus has given us in the words from the hill. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you're, if you're, you're ready for honesty, you ready? That's not convincing at all. Like, I'm looking around, you're like, I'm not sure. Like, it's summer, preacher. Like, let's leave it alone. Now, here we go. This passage, if you study it and you allow it to infiltrate your heart, at times it's going to offend you. It's going to challenge some of your thoughts. It's going to challenge some of your perceptions of other people. 
People who have less than, people who have more than you. It's going to challenge you to think about people who are diseased or sick. It's going to challenge you to think about divorce and anger and being salt and light in your community. It's going to challenge you about praying and fasting and worry. And Jesus is just getting started. So this summer, I, I want to ask you to, to evaluate and walk through this summer with me. And I want to give us three questions to start with today. All right? Here's what they are. Is your relationship to Jesus Christ one of authority? Is your relationship of Jesus Christ one of authority? And the way that you can examine that, you can litmus test that, you can explore that, is does the teachings of Jesus, does it transform my life? Am I willing to change? Am I willing to be changed? How I parent, what I do, my relationships. Is my relationship to Jesus Christ an authority? Or do I turn a deaf ear to the teachings of Jesus and go, uh, maybe that was a suggestion. Jesus is teaching with authority that astonished the people not as they had ever heard before. So there's no doubt here that our relationship to Jesus Christ must be one where we submit ourselves to a Savior who humbly sacrificed himself as a payment for our sins. And we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he saves us. He redeems us. He makes us whole. And then he desires to use us. But he will be an authority. Is Jesus in your relationship a relationship that has authority in your life? The next question I want you to think about this summer is, are you isolated from community or are you involved in community? Are you isolated from community or are you involved in community? Here's a great way to, to start testing yourself on that. If you walk into Rich Fork and you speak to the five or six people that are around you because you normally sit in the same area and you speak to them and you leave and you get in your car and you don't connect with us the rest of the week, I'm going to count that as isolation, all right? Some would say it's anonymity. Some would say, well, that's kind of the culture we live in. I'm going to say it's not plugging into the community as defined in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to challenge you on that this summer. I'm also going to challenge you to think outside of this room. Are you isolated in your community? Do you drive home, pull the cars in, shut the garage, close the doors, close the blinds, live inside, go to church the next week? All right? That's called isolation. That's not who we're called to be. So a, a question that you can use to evaluate that is if our church, on a community-wide level, if our church did not exist, would the community around us miss us? We've been here for and almost 50 years. If, if our church just one day closed the doors, said, hey guys, see you later. Would Thomasville, Lexington, Davids County, would they, would they miss us? If we're a vibrant part of this community, I pray they would. Let's take that to your house. Take it to your neighborhood. If you moved out of your neighborhood, would they celebrate? Yeah, they're gone. Oh my gosh, they're kids. All right, there are parties or whatever they were doing. They drove us crazy. Well, yeah, they, yeah, they're gone. Or would they go? What are we going to do without them? They, they, they mowed our grass when 
Somebody passed away. They, they brought us food. They, we're going to miss them. Are you isolated in your community? Or are you involved in your community? Church and outside the walls. Church and outside the walls. Are you isolated from community or involved in community? The last thing I want us to examine this summer is, is your relationship to Jesus Christ transforming your character? You cannot read the Sermon on the Mount without your character being examined, explored, torn apart, put back together. Can't do it. Just can't do it. You may say to yourself, well, pastor, how do I know if my, trans- my character is being transformed? Are there things about your moral decisions that uh, for a year you've been making that you, they've been nagging you, that in the back of your mind you go, man, I need to change that behavior? It needs to be transformed. Is there something you know that God has been leading you to do, but you've been kind of running from it? Your transformation of your character needs to take place. Transformation of my character take place. And if you say, well, pastor, I just don't know if it's that big of a deal, then you need to go to question one, is Jesus an authority? If he's an authority, he's going to lead you to be a part of a community. If he's an authority, he's going to lead you for your transformation to take place from the inside out, through your relationship to Jesus, spilling out on those around you. Church, I've got a lot of expectation for this summer in our time of teaching. I was so bummed that I didn't get to, to preach last week. I heard Matt did an awesome job, but I was so ready to, to preach this, to get into this, to dive into this, to lay the framework for us this Sunday. Because I hear a lot of people tell me all the time, Pastor, I'm praying for a revival. I'm praying that things would change in our community. And by that, I think people mean, at least what I mean, is that there would be a spiritual awakening happening inside the church that would pour out of the church into the communities that we would live, and people that are far from Jesus would be drawn to Jesus and realize their need for salvation in Jesus Christ. One pastor said this. He said, If every Christian in the church today were living the Sermon on the Mount, the great revival for which we are praying and longing for would have already started amazed and astounding things would happen. The world would be shocked and men and women would be drawn and attracted to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe that. I believe that a broken world is waiting for the church to be authentic, to be compassionate, to be real, to be transformed, that the world can't quite figure it out, but there's something in their mind that they look at the church and they say, there it is. There's what's missing that it would be a source of authority that people would be drawn to it. And even if they didn't agree with it, they'd be drawn to it to say, man, but they present it with truth and compassion and love and support. But it's an authority. This is the calling of the words from the hill. And I'm so excited to walk through that together with you. This morning I realized that not everybody in this room may be a follower of Jesus. And I would love the opportunity to pray with you regarding that. I also love the opportunity for me or someone else to pray with you. It may be an issue of community. It may be an issue of character. It may not be anything to do with what we've talked about today. But in a few minutes, we want to give you a chance to do that. So let's pray together.